I want to read this evening just a few verses from Romans chapter 9, please. Paul's letter to the church at Rome, Romans chapter 9, and we're going just to read a few verses, uh, verse 22, 23, and 24. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. I came across some very interesting items, uh, I think last week, and I want to read them to you. When little Tom's grandmother died, his mother wasn't sure how she would best break the news to him. That night, when they were having tea together, she said, Tom, I've got some sad news to tell you. We won't be seeing Granny any more. Oh, said Tom, why's that? His mother fidgeted uneasily. Well, Tom, she said, she's gone to live with God. Crumbs, said Tom, how posh. <laughs> Another one. A little boy told his mum that he didn't want to go to Sunday school because they will be learning about heaven. When mum asked him why he didn't want to hear about it, he said, because I want heaven to be a surprise. Isn't that lovely? If you've been with us the last two Sundays, you will of course know that we have been dealing with a tremendous subject, the riches of God. The first Sunday we were thinking of the riches of his goodness. I extend it not just to the Christian, but also to the unconverted. And then last Sunday night we were thinking of the riches of his grace. And by what a time we had looking at the wonderful riches that God gives to us in the person of his beloved son with regard to salvation. Well, this evening we're going to have a look at another great aspect of God's riches, and that's the riches of his glory. Verse 23, And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. No doubt you've heard of Sir Isaac Newton, one of the greatest scientists of all times. He was a professor of mathematics at Cambridge University, a very brilliant, clever scientist. And here's what Sir Isaac Newton said on one occasion. And I quote, I don't know what I may seem to the world, 
But as to myself, I seem to have been only like a boy, playing on the seashore and diverting myself now and then in finding a smoother pebble or a prettier shell than the ordinary. Whilst the great ocean of truth lay all undiscovered before me. What a statement to come from the great Sir Isaac Newton. Whilst all the great ocean of truth lay undiscovered before me. Now I give that quotation this evening because as we shall see as this message continues that we find ourselves in a similar position. We shall be looking at some of the aspects of God's riches in glory. But uh, we'll feel like Sir Isaac Newton on the seashore. And in front of us is a great ocean of undiscovered truth. I can only touch this evening upon certain aspects of the wonderful riches of God's glory. And as God has shared the riches of his goodness with us, and as God has shared the riches of his grace with us, then God is going to share with us the riches of his glory. But we have a problem this evening. Big problem. We're finite. Our understanding is finite. Our comprehension is finite. And this evening we're going to try and comprehend, as it were, the incomprehensible. We're trying to scale the heights and plumb the depths of vast riches. And unfortunately, we shall come a time, even in our understanding and our comprehension, in which we can go so far, but no farther. But let's go as far as we can this evening. And then when we can't go any farther, let's just worship, adore him, and bless him. Now, how am I going to approach this subject this evening? Let me try and approach it in four ways. As we think of God's riches in glory, we're going to discover that there is something to see. And then secondly, there's something to hear. And then thirdly, there's something to experience. And then fourthly, there's something to enjoy. And that's the four aspects of the riches of God's glory this evening. First of all then, there's something to see. And what are we going to see when God opens to us and shares with us the riches of his glory? Let me just mention one or two. We are going to see the glory of his son. 
And can you imagine what that's going to be when we see the glory of his son, the Lord Jesus? Then our Lord's prayer will be answered. Do you remember what he prayed in John chapter 17? That great prayer of intercession. He says, Father, I will that they whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And friends, that prayer of our Lord is going to be answered when he has his church, his redeemed people, where he is, then we shall behold the glory of our wonderful and precious Lord Jesus. And what a day that's going to be when you, with your eyes, behold him in his majesty, in his glory, and in his splendor. We've never seen him as he was, but we shall see him as he is in all his power and in all his glory and that was the hope that John the Apostle had now John was the only one who didn't suffer martyrdom the rest of the Apostles they were martyred but not John he lived to be an old age in his 90s takes up his pen and he says in 1 John chapter 3 he's excited to he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's your hope. That's my hope. We shall see him as he is the father's delight the father's joy do you remember the Lord the father said this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased I trust dear friend you are well pleased with him because the father is and one day we're going to see the son's glory when he reveals himself in all his majesty now then, I want to get your grey matter working this evening. Because we have entered into what is known as eschatology. Now that's a lovely name, which simply means the doctrine of the last things in the Bible prophecy. And I've discovered over the years that sometimes you can't be too dogmatic with regard to eschatology or Bible prophecy. Now you've got your views, you've got your ideas. They could be right, but they could be wrong. And sometimes we can't be too dogmatic about these things. So I'm going to throw out a question to you. I don't want you to answer, you can think about it later on. Because another thing we're going to see is not just the, 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 the glory of his son. But think of this, we are going to see, or should I put it this way, are we going to see the face of God? Have you ever thought that? Are we going to see the face of God? We shall see the Lord Jesus, that's obvious. 
But here's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Not my words, his words. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see, see who? They shall see God. Revelation 22 says, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be upon their forehead. And I put the question to you, the riches of his glory, are we actually going to see something that has never been seen before? Because the Bible says, no man have seen God at any time. Oh yes, there have been theopolis of God, some sort of manifestation, but no one has actually seen God in his pure essence. Because God said, no man can see me and live. It would be too powerful, too overwhelming. But could it be that in the riches of his glory, in that day that is yet to come, we are actually going to see something that has never been seen before we're going to see the face of God now I'm putting that to you friends I want you to think about it I want you to think about it is that going to happen or are we just going to see as it were God manifested in and through the person of his son or are we going to actually look upon the face of God then another thing we're going to see is this and this is absolutely marvellous we are going to see the, the new Jerusalem now when you go to the book of Revelation you of course know that the book of Revelation the apocalypse is a book of many symbols and signs and there are many people who say, when I, the Revelation, it's a good book, but it's a book of signs and symbols. And they stop there. But I'm one of those believers that are inclined to accept that there are many things in the book of Revelation that are going to be literal. Because if you take the argument, they are just symbols. You can't stop there. You've got to ask yourself the next question. Okay then, what do the symbols symbolize? And then you've got to try and explain what the symbols symbolize. Whereas I'm inclined to believe that when John saw in the book of Revelation the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, he was actually seeing a literal city that we're going to see and that we're going to enter in for the countless ages of eternity. And what a vision John had of the holy city. Jasper walls, 12 foundations, 12 pearly gates, and the street is made of pure gold. Sorry to disappoint you ladies. The gold that you're probably wearing this evening, gold rings or whatever, it's not pure gold. It's adulterated gold. It's not pure gold. Sorry to disappoint you. But that's the truth. Whereas what John sees, he says the city was of pure gold like unto crystal. What a vision that's going to be.
jasper walls, pearly gates, twelve foundations, pure gold. And then he says, this city is 12,000 furlongs in length, 12,000 furlongs in breadth, 12,000 furlongs in height. And in mathematics, 12,000 furlongs signifies 1,500 miles. Now, can you try and grasp this? A city, 1,500 miles in length, 1,500 miles in breadth, 1,500 miles in height. What a city that's going to be. Now you're probably saying, okay, Stanley, well, I just think it's symbols. Well, you're entitled to your opinion, but you've got to ask yourself the question, what do the symbols mean? Whereas I am inclined to accept it as literal. And remember that when that city comes down, it's going to descend not upon the earth as it is at the moment, but upon the new earth and the new heavens. And that's different. So, dear friends, as God shares the riches of his glory, there'll be something to see. And I've just mentioned one or two. The glory of his Son, the face of God, and this wonderful city that's been prepared for you and for me. But then notice, secondly, that there'll be something to, to hear. What are we going to hear when God shares the riches of his glory? Well, first of all, and most important of all, we're going to hear the voice of our Lord. Can you imagine when the Lord speaks to you and he speaks to me? You're going to hear him speak to you. And you know, there's something I want him to say to me. And I'm sure I would echo your sentiments too. And I'm sure you want him to say the same thing to you. And it's this. Well done, good and faithful servants. Now, wouldn't you like the Lord to say that to you, dear friends? Well done. Good and faithful servant. Others may not praise you. They may criticize you. They may condemn you. Makes no difference. Just as long as I hear from his lips those precious words. Well done. Good and faithful servant. We're going to hear the Lord speak to us. He knows you by name. And he'll probably say, Betty, Sandy, Graham. Well done. Well done. You've been faithful. You've been true to me. Well done. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. So we're going to hear the Lord's voice. And then we're going to hear the voice of angels. John in the Revelation he saw this great multitude of angels. He says 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And they're singing something. And they're saying, worthy is the Lamb 
to receive honor and praise and glory and power and dominion. They're worshipping the Lamb. But notice, they don't, they can't worship as you're going to worship. Because they are the unfallen angels. There's two types of angels. There are the unfallen angels that kept their first estate, that didn't, that didn't rebel with Lucifer. And then there's the other angels that fell, who became what we know as demons. The unfallen angels, they worship God as the creator of the universe, as their king, as their lord, as their master. They can't sing what you can sing, the song of the redeemed, because they've never, never known the joy of sins forgiven, because they've never sinned. The voice of angels. And what a sight, what a hearing that's going to be when we hear the angels singing in unison. 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands accruing throughout the universe. And then, of course, we're going to hear the voice of the redeemed. And John says, I saw a multitude that no man could number. Out of every kindred and tongue and tribe and nation. And they're standing there and they're clothed in white robes. And they've got palms in their hands. And they're singing salvation to our God and unto the Lamb. Now the angels can't sing that. But we are going to sing that salvation to our God and to the Lamb. Something to hear. As well as something to see. But then notice thirdly. Something to experience. And what are you going to experience dear friends? Let me mention two things. You're going to experience your new glorified body. Because the Bible says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Therefore, for you to enjoy the riches of his, of his glory, you have to have bodies that's incorruptible, that's immortal. And when the Lord Jesus comes, those that have died before his coming and have, are in the grave or even been cremated, when that trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then those of us who are living when the Lord comes, we shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye. One second mortal, the next second immortal. One second corruptible, the next second incorruptible. And when the dead are raised and the living changed, then together we shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord and we're going to have new bodies are you looking forward to your new body a body that will no, no pain no aches or pains no heart attacks no pain whatever it'll be a body immortal never subject again to death 
Here's what Paul says. He says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from whence we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change the body of our humiliation, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Now, let me put another question to you, Bible students here in Moody's Burn. You eggheads. Here's something else you can think about. Will our glorified bodies be exactly the same as our Lord's glorified body? Shall we be able to appear and disappear as he did? Shall we, shall we be able to walk through doors as he did? Or shall his body be unique? Our bodies will be likened unto his glory. You can sort that out afterwards. Glorified bodies. Demonstration of the mighty power of God. It's been my son that as a pastor over many years to officiate at funerals. A sad time. But many of the ones I've officiated at were Christians. And there's always a note of triumph and victory when we conduct a funeral of a believer. And here's the reason. That one has died, yes. Death is holding him or her. But it won't hold him or her forever. Because when that happens, Paul says, Then shall we brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a day that's going to be. When the saints rise from death, it's held them for years, but then it's going to release them. When that trumpet sounds and the voice of the archangel was heard, the dead in Christ shall rise with glorified immortal bodies. But then not only that, here's something else. We're going to experience our sinless and glorified Spirits. You see, even though we're Christians, we have still got this old Adamic nature within us. You've got two natures. An unsaved person has only got one nature, the old Adamic nature, inherited through the generations. But when someone becomes a Christian, in addition to the old Adamic nature, they've got the new nature brought about by regeneration at the new birth and so there is in every Christian a civil war going on the old flesh against the new nature and the old nature like the law of gravitation that Sir Isaac Newton discovered the law of gravity that old nature continually drives you down but not only shall we get our glorified body but we're going to experience glorified spirits. We shall never then think an evil thought. We shall never have any impure motives. 
we shall be sinless. What a concept that is. Glorified body. And then the last trace of the old Adamic nature as is completely taken away. And as the Bible says, uh, the spirits of just men made perfect. We're going to experience that. Never any more impure thoughts, sinful thoughts, impure motives. We shall be pure in body, soul, and spirit. I must say, hallelujah. Something to see, yes. Something to hear. Something to experience. But let me say, lastly and very quickly, something to enjoy. Man's chief end, we're told, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And we're going to enjoy the company of God. Think of that, the company of God. Not just for a few years, but for all eternity. Enjoying His company, His fellowship. Because then, no separation, no sin to separate you. The company of God. And then, of course, we're going to enjoy the company of angels. I'm looking forward to seeing them. Looking forward to meeting them. There's the angels, then there's the archangels, there's the cherubim, there's the seraphim. All these lovely ranks of angels. What a joy I'm going to have meeting all these angels. And I shall be enjoying their company. And they're probably so nice family. How does it feel like to be redeemed? How does it feel like to be saved? How does it feel like to have your sins forgiven? Because they don't know. And then of course you try to explain to them. But then they couldn't understand. Because they don't know the joy of sins forgiven. But then notice this. And this throws me. We're going to enjoy the company of the redeemed of all ages. Right from Abel, away back in Genesis, to the last man or woman that's going to be saved, the vast company of God's people, they'll be all there. And we're going to enjoy their company for all eternity. Do you know, I've got a big list of, of people that I want to see. I want to meet Spurgeon. He's been my favourite author. I want to meet Charles Spurgeon. I've got all his books, you see. I want to meet him in person. And I want to meet D.O. Moody. We mentioned him last week. And there's so many of these wonderful saints that I want to meet. And here's a lovely thought, friends. You shall know them intimately as if you've known them all your life. Have you ever thought of that? How did Peter recognize Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration? he never seen them. They've been dead for years. Moses died. Elijah, of course, was taken up to heaven. But they've been vanished for it. And yet, he says, let's build three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You see, he knew them. And that's a foretaste of the glorious kingdom of God. We shall know them all intimately. As if we had known them for years. Imagine 
spending 20 years with D.L. Moody. <laughs> then 20 years of C.H. Spurgeon and good old, and uh, uh, there'll, be no, there'll be no clocks there, no watches there, you see. You're out of time, you're in eternity. <laughs> oh, are you getting excited, friends? <laughs> you should be. It's, it's all in front of you. God's going to share these riches with you. And I'm just touching on the fringe of them. Oh, what's the reality going to be like? But let me give you a wee warning. Graham, I'm going to use you as an illustration. You don't mind? I'm going to use you anyway. <laughs> Let's imagine that Graham is walking down Hallelujah Avenue in the New Jerusalem. He's having a great time and he's, been, he's very inquisitive and he's looking around these great buildings, the jasper walls, the pearly gates, uh, and then someone taps him on the shoulder. And he looks around, and lo and behold, it's Haggai. Now that's the name, that's his name, that's not a disease. That's his name, Haggai. And he says, Graham, my name is Haggai. Now, what did you think of my wee book in the Old Testament? And before Graham can say yes or no, lo and behold, Zephaniah turns up. And he pushes Haggai to the one side and he says to Graham, Graham, my name is Zephaniah. Now, what did you think of my book? And before Graham can mention Zephaniah, another comes and his name is Obadiah. And he says to Graham, Graham, what did you think of my book, Obadiah? Just one chapter. What did you think of it? Now, Graham, I hope you've read these books. Because you're going to meet these characters. You're going to meet Haggai. You're going to meet Zephaniah. You're going to meet Obadiah and all these prophets. And they're going to tap you in the shoulder. And they're going to say, well, what do you think of a book? And the sad thing is, dear friends, and I say this very graciously. Did you know there are many Christians, many of God's people, and they've never read the Bible right through from Genesis to Revelation. And I'm not talking about young converts. Oh no. I'm talking about people on the road for years. And they said, Stanley, I have to confess, I have never read the Bible right through from beginning to end talking to one man and he said oh yes sir, I read the Bible but I don't read the genealogies <laughs> oh no friends you've got to read everything read all the genealogies you're a Gentile those genealogies may, may mean anything to you but to a Jew they're very important family trees register read everything now I'm not going to ask for a show of hands I'm too gracious for that tonight but if I were to ask for a show of hands, hands up, all those in this meeting who have read the Bible right through from beginning to end. I wonder how many hands we put up. Now you know if you've read the Bible right through. Let me say, if you haven't, why not start? Just a few chapters in the Old Testament in the morning, New Testament at night time. And in 12 months, you'll look back and you'll say, well, I, I've read it right through. Because 
we need all the Bible. Not just a wee bit here or a wee bit there. Not just the Psalms or the Gospels. We need all the Bible. Because, dear friends, you're not going to get any other books. This is the complete revelation of God. That is why we reject Mormonism. Who say that they've got the Book of Mormon in it. Oh, no. This is the inspired Word of God. This is the complete Bible, the complete revelation. In one sense, God has nothing else to say to us. He said it everything in his blessed book. So, Graham, you better get busy <laughs> reading Haggai and Zephaniah and Obadiah and all those other characters because they could tap you on the shoulder and they're going to ask you, Graham, how about it? But uh, how wonderful, oh yes, Haggai, I read your book, it was wonderful. Now, would you explain this to me? And then you say to Zephaniah, Graham, oh yes, Zephaniah, I've read your book. I wonder, could you explain this to me? And you see, another few years, Graham, going to spend time with all these people. We're going to enjoy the company of God. The company of the angels, the company of the redeemed. Friends, I'm out of my depth because we've just come to that point. Yes, we've touched upon it very briefly, and yet in front of us is a great depth that we can't even plumb until we get to the other side. But who reads that? Let me refer back to that little story about the wee boy. Wanted heaven to be a surprise. And in many ways, heaven is going to be a surprise when God shares his glory. Some people we think will be there, will not be there. Some people that uh, we think won't be there will be there but by God's wonderful grace we will be there amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me and as old John Newton put it the last verse of, of his great hymn amazing grace when we have been there 10,000 years Bright shining as the sun, with no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. The riches of his goodness, the riches of his grace, the riches of his glory. The Lord willing, next Sunday I'm going to bring you a message and we're going to relate all this to a practical down to earth living as Christians. So make a date, the Lord willing, for next Sunday night. I can hardly wait to know what I'm going to say.